Um, this morning we're going to look at one of my favorite psalms. It's Psalm 127. If you have a Bible, you can find it in there and uh, follow along as we look at it. If you don't have a Bible, it's printed in your order of worship. But uh, it's, it's a really special psalm to me, but it's also a psalm that has some just basic truth in it that we often disregard, we often don't think about, um, I would say, to our own peril. Uh, but this, this psalm is a, a part of a group of psalms called the Songs of Ascents, A-S-C-E-N-T-S, the Songs of Ascents. And, and so the, these psalms were used by pilgrims on their way to Jerusalem as they ascended towards Jerusalem. Um, and, and they sung these psalms as they were preparing to go to Jerusalem and worship God there. And so these, this psalm, as well as the other ones, are all, uh, they, they give us some insight into what worship is about, but also... Um, I think as we live our day-to-day lives, often, you know, life can be referred to as a pilgrimage or a journey. And so I think the, this psalm also gives us insight into what it means to just live life, uh, what's important to, to remember as we live life. So listen to God's word as I read from Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, The watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them, He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would work in us right now, that you would open our hearts to receive the truth of your word. We pray, Father, that you would help us to to listen carefully to what you are saying to us by your spirit right now. And that as we listen, as we behold you, that that we would be changed, that our hearts would be changed, and we would become different. We would become more like you, more like Jesus. Father, we pray more than anything that you would help us to see Jesus as we look at this. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me describe for you an evening of vanity in the uh, Ridgeway household. It didn't happen too long ago. Um, but it was a busy, somewhat of a busy evening where we had soccer practice, and then I had a meeting I had to go out for later, and so we had this window of opportunity to sit down and eat dinner together, and Kim had worked really hard on, on making a meatloaf for dinner that night, and uh, it's always exciting for me when we have meatloaf. I love meatloaf, and uh, so I'm looking forward to this. Other people in our house, I think, are looking forward to it as well, and, uh, and so it's getting near time to, to have dinner. It's about half an hour away from dinner, and, uh, but it's, it's, you know... The usual accompanying meatloaf smells are not emanating from the kitchen like they, they usually do. And Kim goes in there to check on the meatloaf about a half an hour before we're supposed to eat, and she opens the oven, and she realizes that in the midst of the chaos of, you know, homework and kids screaming and arguing and stuff, that she had made the meatloaf and put the meatloaf in the oven, but hadn't turned the oven on. <laughs> and... You know, meatloaf takes like 90 minutes to cook, so, so there's, like, there's no way we're going to have meatloaf that night. It was like all that, it was just like all that was for nothing. 
and we're all really disappointed and frustrated. And, uh, and so we're like, okay, we got this smaller window now to try to figure out where we're going to eat. And so we're like, okay, let's just order some Pizza Hut. And, you know, we'll order it. It takes 20 minutes. I'll drive over to Pizza Hut, pick it up, and bring it home. And so we go online, and we, we put our order in for a couple pizzas from Pizza Hut. And then I immediately get in the car and run over there because we don't have a lot of time. And I walk in. And I'm like, okay, um, you got uh, the order for Ridgeway? And they're like looking in their computer. Ridgeway? No. No. Are you sure? Ridgeway? Like, there's nothing in here about Ridgeway. No, we don't have your order. And then we go back in our, in, on, online in our app, and we're, we realize that there are pizzas waiting for us, but they're not in Randolph. They're in West Orange. <laughs> and, and so there's, like, absolutely, absolutely no time for me to get to West Orange and back with our pizzas by the time we have to, you know. So it's just like I just drive home just all depressed, you know, there's all of that, you know, money, time, effort, wasted, all for nothing, all for nothing, and I think everybody just ate cereal that night for dinner, in defeat, with our heads hanging low, you know, <laughs> just us and our Captain Crunch, it was sad, way, way you know, way worse than, than meatloaf was going to be, or Pizza Hut, it was, it was so disappointing, but um, Psalm 127, I would say, as much as anything else, it's a massive warning to us. It's a warning to us. It's a warning to us that, that, um, that we may be working extremely hard at all sorts of things, making all sorts of sacrifices, putting all sorts of time and energy into things, um, whether it's our career or our school and our education or our families or our own personal development or what you know, our, we're trying to accomplish our dreams. We're putting all of this energy into it. But in the end, it will all have been a complete waste of time. It will all just be a loaf of uncooked meat in the oven, you know, when we get to the end of our lives, looking back, being like, why? Why do we put so much work into this? There's a phrase that's used over and over again in the first two verses, right? In vain, in vain, in vain. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It's in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest. It, basically, the, it's, it's a simple message here. That unless God is involved in what you are trying to do, unless God is actually providing the, the power and, and, and the, the results and the fruit of what you're trying to accomplish, it is a waste of time. It's a waste of time. It's all in vain. Unless we're, you know, God is accomplishing it. That's simply all it's saying. And, and, and so we need to be really careful as we think about how we're living our lives and how we're trying to accomplish what we're trying to accomplish and what we're pursuing. Um, it's Mother's Day, right? And, and if you are a mother sitting here this morning, I would expect you to be sitting on the edge of your seat, leaning forward, because... There are a few people in life that I've observed um, who work harder than moms, who give more of themselves, who sacrifice more and put more effort and energy into, into you know, building a home and raising their kids. Um, and yet, what this psalm says is that if you are just all doing it, it's just all about you doing it, and God is not underneath all of it, then it's, then it's pointless. Then it's pointless. 
And so I think that goes not just for moms, but for all of us, right? For all of us. And I think this changes all sorts of different things. When we, when we really understand this basic truth that, that it's only God who gives meaning to what we're doing and who gives like lasting success and impact to what we are doing. When we understand that basic truth, it changes things. It changes several different things. And that's what I want to look at just briefly this morning. Just uh, first of all, it, it'll, it'll change our perspective when we, when we really hear that and believe that. It changes our perspective on just how we live life, the way that we're looking at life. Um, when we realize that, that God is the one who makes the difference in everything that we are doing. Then, then first of all, it, it'll, it'll make us more grateful as we look at life because everything that happens that, that goes well, everything that happens that we are thankful, that, that, that seems to be a success, every, every time we, we experience fruit in our lives, we will, be, we will recognize that it's only because God helped us. It's only because God was working, and it'll make us grateful. It'll make us thankful for his work. But I think just as significantly as that, maybe more so, it'll make us more dependent on him. Our perspective will be full of just an awareness for how much we need him in all of life and everything that we do. As we go into the workplace, I need you, God, today. As we think about what we're trying to accomplish in our homes, as, as we think about our relationships with our spouse or our kids or our friends, we will we'll approach them all with a real awareness of how much we need God, how much we need to rely on him everything. The, the problem is we, we get so used to just living life in our own strength. We get so used to just doing things in, with our own wisdom, just plowing ahead, you know, and, and only like one of, the, one of the results is we only attempt to do things that we know that we can do, that we know that we're capable of doing. But we, it, when we realize that, that God is the one who makes the difference in everything that we do, that'll make us way more dependent on him, moment by moment. Um, I'm, I'm ashamed to say, like, I'm, I'm terrible at this. I'm terrible at just moment by moment realizing how much I need to rely on God. Kim is so much better at this than I am, or at least she's better at recognizing her need for it. I mean, I, I remember, again, not too long ago, there was a really rough afternoon we had with, uh, with one of the kids doing homework, and, and it was just a battle. And, um, and, and, you know, voices were raised, and, and, you know, people were yelling, and, uh, and the kid ended up, like, in his room, and just angry, and I remember Kim saying, kind of, at the, at the end of all of that, she's like, I was just doing this all on my own. I was doing this all on my own. I wasn't relying on God in the midst of it. When we rely on God in the midst of how we're interacting with our kids, it's going to change the way that we interact with them. When we're aware of our need to rely on God, as we do our work, it's going to change the way that we do it. And so it's going to change our perspective. It's going to change our perspective. More grateful and more dependent. Whether you're a fan of tattoos or not, um, this is the whole reason I got this thing. If, you don't, if you've never heard the story of it, this is a basically a, 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 a visible representation, an interpretation of this psalm. And it's purely to remind me to be grateful as, as, we've, as we've adopted our children, our, our you know, fourth, fifth, and sixth children, it reminds me to be grateful for them. You know, as it talks in this psalm about um, children being a heritage from the Lord, it reminds me to be grateful for the fact that they come from God, no matter how, you know, hard it is sometimes to get along. 
reminds me to be grateful and it reminds me to, to, re- to depend on him. The only, the only way, you know, I can, I can like try to like stay awake at night, like try to think about how I can, you know, what I can, what I can do to, to shape these kids. But, but the only thing that's really going to make a difference in these kids' lives is, is God and what he will do and what he's doing. And of course, this isn't to say that, that we shouldn't be working really hard and trying really hard to, to do all the things that we're called to do. But it's a warning. Don't do it without him. You have to rely on him. Um, I think also knowing this truth changes. I have in the outline pr- our purpose, but I, I think maybe a better word is our pursuits, what we pursue. It changes what we're trying to accomplish with life. If we know that only things that God does will have real value and worth, only things that God does will actually have success, then we'll rethink what we are pursuing. We'll modify what we pursue so that it's consistent with the things that God enjoys, that God loves, that God values. They think, again, a lot of us, the things that we pursue are just, it's all about what we want, what we think is important. We don't really consult God all that much. A lot of us don't. And so if we're just doing stuff that we want to do, if we're trying to, to, to pursue the things that we want in life, and we just uh, we, we think that, you know, I'm just going to ask God to bless what I'm doing. I mean, that's, that's not really going to work. What's really going to work is if we, if we can figure out what God loves, what God delights in, and get involved in those things. And as we get involved in those things, then we can be confident that, that God's going to be at work in them. Does that make sense? If God doesn't want to do something or he doesn't care about it, we can't expect him to be involved in it. So how do we tell? How do we tell what God delights in? How do we tell what he loves? I mean, the place that we figure out where he, what, he, what he loves is, is in, in his word. You know? So, of course, we need to become as familiar as we can with this. Because this is how we find out what God values, what God's going to be behind, what God's going to make happen. Um, and, and so if we just start just with this one psalm, what does, God, what does this one psalm say about what God delights in? Well, what is the thing that God gives in here? It says in verse, in verse uh, 3, it says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. I mean... It, this one simple thing, God loves children. He loves to give children. He delights in children and building families. And so, number one, that, that you know, gives incredible importance to, to mothers on Mother's Day, right? I mean, one of the primary things that, that, that you are doing with your life is in line with what God wants, as he raises and builds up children through you. And so we need to see, see how we can you know, support moms and dads and families. We need to see how we can invest in children. I mean, Jesus himself, right? He also said, let the little children come to me. The kingdom belongs to little children. We need to, we need to make children a priority in our lives. And supporting those who are raising children. We need to become, for those, those who, who maybe don't have kids, we need to be investing in kids and, and becoming, you know, you know, additional parents for them in the church. As we invest in children and work to love them and build them up, that's, that's you know, absolutely one thing that God delights in and loves. But I think also, more broadly speaking, 
if, if God loves to give children in, in a more broader perspective, what does that say? That, that says that God, what, what do children become? Children become adults. That children are people, you know. What does God love? God delights in people. And so if we want God to, if we, if we want to expect God to, to work in us and through us and do really powerful things, what we should be doing is investing more of our lives in people, in relationships, you know. If people are valuable to God, then, then that's where we should expect the most exciting things to happen as we live our lives to invest in others, as we live our lives to, to grow relationships with other people, as we live our lives to serve others and love them and listen to them and understand them. It, it's, it's challenging. I think a lot of us can be tempted to sacrifice people for all sorts of other things, for all sorts of, you know, for, for our agendas or for our careers, we can sacrifice people. But God says, no, you need to make people a priority if you expect me to work through you and in you. Um, when we know that only things God does will matter will, and have substance, it, it also gives life to our prayers. It changes the way that we pray, the things that we pray for. I think, as I said before, we're so, we're so used to doing stuff in our own strength, and we're also used to just um, doing the things that we want, pursuing the things that we want. The result is that we don't pray a whole lot, and the only time we end up praying is when things are going wrong, when I'm in pain or when I'm, when I'm uncomfortable. That's when we pray. We ask God for help. Help me deal with this painful situation. But this is the thing. As we change the things that we're pursuing, as we begin to pursue things that, that God delights in that, and that God loves, it, it will change. We'll start to be like, God, I need your help in this. As I rethink how God wants to use me, what God wants rather than what I want, it'll change the way that I pray. I'll begin to pray for these things that God wants rather than about what I want. As I said, most of, the, most of the time we're just doing stuff for ourselves. And this is the thing. If, if, you want, if, if you see prayer as something that's important, if you want to grow in your prayer life, then I would encourage you, start attempting to do more things for him, for God. Start attempting to do more things for God. Start attempting to do more things that only God can do. That'll force you to pray more. God, I need your help. I need your help. Rethink about how you are approaching your work as you go into the office, as you do whatever you do. Rethink that in terms of, you know, God, what do you want to accomplish here? What do you want to accomplish as I relate to the other people that I work with, some of whom are really hard to get along with? Rethink how you are doing your work and how you are inter interacting with the people you're working with and think about what does God want to happen in their lives? What does God want to happen through you? Rethink about how you're just doing your chores and your errands that you do throughout your day. What does God want? What does the God want to do in me as I'm doing these? How does God want to use these things for his purposes? Rethink uh, your, your whole relationship with your spouse and what God might want to do in their life. Instead of just viewing your spouse as, as there to make you happy, think about what God wants to do in their life and what he might want to do through you in their life. And that'll move you to begin to pray more about what God might do in them. And, and again, for those moms in here, as you think about what 
you know, what does God want to do through you in the lives of your kids? What does God want to do through you in the lives of your kids? A lot of the times we just have our own agenda for our, our kids. What does God want to do with them? Again, in, in, this, uh, in this psalm, it talks about, it compares children to arrows in the hands of a warrior, right? In verse 4. In verse 5, blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. Arrows aren't meant to just sit in the quiver forever. They're meant to be shot out with a purpose, right? We need to realize that that, that is the whole point of God giving children is to be shot out for his purposes, for his kingdom, as weapons of love and compassion and justice and mercy. What does God want to do in and through your kids rather than just thinking about, you know, I just want my kids to be, to be happy and successful and accomplish great things. When we start thinking about what does God want to do? What does God want to do with Lark as she grows up, you know? And it moves us, it'll move us to, to pray more what God's going to do. Lastly, um, understanding this psalm will impact your relationship with your pillow. We're going to get really practical here. Really practical, okay? Um, we all, I think a lot of us probably have a, a you know, a, a, a meaningful, strong relationship with our pillow, don't we? I mean, some of us, when we go on vacation or go somewhere else, we take our pillow with us because it's really hard to sleep with an unfamiliar pillow. There's so many different kinds of pillows. There's, you know, feather pillows, down pillows. There's, uh, there's the memory foam pillows. There's the contour pillows. There's the body pillows. There's just all sorts of pillows out there. And, and, uh, and people are constantly selling us the best pillow that's going to help us to sleep the best, right? I mean, we have all sorts of things that we count on to help us sleep really well. Again, one of the things, Kim mentioned to me recently, one of, the, one of the best gifts I've ever given her were these luxurious sheets that we have that are really soft and they're so comfortable. And we do, we appreciate those every time we lay down in our bed at night. They're so comfortable. But the thing is, as you read Psalm 127, what, you, what, what Psalm 127 reminds us is that real sleep, good sleep, it doesn't come from the perfect pillow it doesn't come from 800 thread count sheets. It doesn't come from uh, the most expensive mattress you could ever possibly buy. It comes from God. That's where real good sleep comes from. Really good sleep, sound sleep, comes from God. You can have all of those other things, and you can still lie awake at night restlessly. You can still struggle to have a good night of sleep because you're dreaming constantly, you know? Really, really good, sound, restful sleep comes from God. It says in verse 2, It's in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Where does really good sleep come, come from? It comes from God. It comes from knowing that you are loved by God. Right? He gives to his beloved sleep. He gives sleep to those he loves. That's where, that's where good, restful sleep comes from. It's knowing that you are loved by God. It's knowing that, that he is taking care of you no matter what else is happening in your life. That's where good sleep comes from. It knows that he is working and that you don't have to. You know, when, when you sleep, it's a real act of trust, isn't it? When you go to sleep, you're, you're trusting. That's, that's when you're more helpless than any time in your life is when you're just laying there sleeping, unconscious, 
unable to protect yourself, unable to do anything really productive. I mean, we know that getting rest is productive, but, but you, know, you know what I mean. You can't really get anything done when you're sleeping. So to, so to go to sleep is to count on God to work when you're just completely unconscious and resting, right? It's counting on God to work when you aren't working. As I mentioned before, this is a psalm of ascents, which means that the pilgrims would be traveling to Jerusalem to worship God, and they would be singing these psalms. And, and so um, the very first verse says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. A pilgrim on his way to Jerusalem would be thinking, when they say that word house, they would be thinking not of their own homes, but of the temple in Jerusalem. That is the house of God. That would, that would be in their minds. That's, that's what they'd be, be thinking is, is, is the house, the ultimate house. It's the house of God. And what does the house of God in Jerusalem represent? It represents God's presence with his people. It represents God's commitment to love his people. And so when they would sing that line, what they would be reminding themselves of is that God's commitment to love them and to be present with them was not based on what they would do, but, on, but, but it would be based on what he built, on his work, to build their relationship and to sustain their relationship, to sustain the covenant with them. It's, it's dependent on him, not on them. That's where good sleep comes from. It, it, it comes from understanding that my relationship with God and his love for me is dependent on him, not on me. I don't have to stress out about feeling like, oh, I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm worthy enough. I'm not sure if I've done enough. My relationship with God and his love for me is dependent on the fact that he has accomplished everything necessary for me to be loved now and forever. I mean, that's the central message of the Bible. And that is the central message that is ultimately lived out in the life of Jesus and accomplished through the life of Jesus. That is why he came. The reason that we can count on the fact that God loves us is because Jesus came and lived a perfect life and died on the cross to pay for our sins and then rose from the dead. It's, it's Jesus, all of his life, his life is what builds our relationship with God. His life is what earns God's love for us. It's because of what Christ has done and, and what Christ has done alone. And so that is why I can lay down and sleep and know that, that I can't do anything to damage God's commitment to me. It's because it's, it's all there, built solidly through the work of Jesus. That is where really restful, satisfying sleep comes from. It's comes, it comes from knowing that, that God loves me, knowing that God is working while I'm sleeping to take care of me, knowing that God's going to meet me when I wake up in the morning, delighting in me. That's where real restful sleep comes from and so that's where i want to just leave us today you know I, I can sleep well knowing that i'm loved knowing that god is working for me even while i sleep truly as i said before sleeping is a very practical action in response to the gospel laying awake worrying about life and trying to figure it all out you know figure out my problems that's a reflect that that reflects a heart that isn't counting on god's love that isn't counting on God to, to take care of me. And, and it's not counting on the fact that I'm going to be okay because I'm, I belong to him. But when I lay down and put my head on the pillow and I'm able to fall asleep quickly and sleep through the night, it reflects a heart that's at rest because I'm trusting him. And so that's my, my final real application to you all this morning, especially to the moms. If you enjoy naps, 
those, those in, in families with moms, try to create some space for them to take a nap today, okay, Andrew? If you don't enjoy naps, it's okay. When you go to bed tonight, lay down and say, God, I'm going to count on you to take care of me, not because I am sustaining this relationship, but because you are, because you love me. I don't have to fear all the problems that are filling up my life. I don't have to spend my night obsessing over them. You have me. I'm going to be okay. That's your challenge. Go to sleep, okay? I'm so, I know some of you guys have already taken it and you're sleeping now, but that's okay. <laughs> but that's it. Let's, let's, let's rest in his power to work in our lives and his love for us that, that we do not have to doubt. Let's rest and let's sleep in his arms. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for this psalm, this reminder of the fact that, that we can't accomplish anything of meaning and value apart from you. And we need you desperately, Father. We pray that you would remind us that we would live our lives with this acute awareness of how desperately we need you, but also of how you are committed to walking with us and to carrying us and to working through us. Father, we pray that truly that, that we would be people who get better at sleeping because we know that you are holding us, because we know that Jesus has done it all and that we are safe. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, as we prepare to meet Jesus at the Lord's table, let's take a moment to confess our sin together, to confess our need for Christ to die for us so that we might be forgiven, so that we might live, so that we might